how do we do this thing called meditation? And um, on the handout, you have 17 different methods. I've come up with another seven or eight more. Uh, that may tell you many things, but at least one thing it tells you is what? There's not just one way to meditate on Scripture. As we cover some of these, some of you will think, are you kidding me? I wouldn't do that in 500 years. And the person next to you is vibrating with excitement about that same method. And then we go to the next method, and it may completely reverse in terms of interest. I use all of these some of the time. I don't use any of them all the time. So just keep in mind, there's no one way to do it, and that there are many listed here, and there are others. You may come up with others. I've come up with others uh, in addition to this list, which reflects the 17 that are also elaborated on it. So if you want to see more in the Spiritual Listmas Christian Life, the third chapter, there's um, more of an explanation of each of these methods. Because for sake of time, I'm not even going to be able to cover all the ones that are on, uh, on your handout. But once again, how do we actually do it? Well, really, where, where do you start? What's the first thing you do? Well, you read your Bible, and then you're going to meditate. You just choose a verse to meditate on. Well, what? Uh, and by the way, this monitor is not working right now. Um, so I don't know if that is that necessary for all this to... It, it, uh, I see the blue light, so I think it's on, but the screen is black. Um, so after you read the Bible, you choose a verse to meditate on. What verse do you choose? Well, uh, just a verse or phrase that stood out. You never noticed this verse before. Or maybe it just really applies to what's going on in your life right now. Or just somehow jumps off the page and grabs you by the throat. Whatever it is. After you're reading, you come back to that verse. Maybe it's the first verse you read. Maybe it's the last verse you read. Maybe it's a verse right in the middle. But after you're reading, you come back to that verse. But what if no verse stands out? Well, you then just pick a key verse from the passage. What are the big ideas here? If you're reading through John chapter 3, nothing stands out. What are the key verses? Well, John 3, 3, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. John 3.16 is a key verse, of course. John 3.17 is a big verse. John 3.27, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given him from heaven. These are the, some of the big ideas in John chapter 3. So this helps us focus on the, the major themes of Scripture. So if nothing stands out, instead of meditating on one of the more obscure leaves of God's Word, meditate on the main you know, trunks and branches. So something rather than one of the tiny little leaves, you meditate on the big ideas, the trunks, the branches. Because we never think enough on the great themes of Scripture. Now, if God calls your attention to one of the more obscure leaves, then great. It's inspired of God. It's worthy of your thought. But while all the Bible is equally inspired, it's not all equally important. Let me say that again. While all the Bible is equally inspired, it's not all equally important. It's all important, but it's not all equally important. For example, there's a verse in the law that says, Though he is bald, yet he is clean. Well, I'll admit that's a verse that's become increasingly important to me over the years, but it's not as important as John 3.16, is it? There's a verse in the law that says, If an unclean man 
spits on a clean man, the clean man becomes unclean. Uh, if you teach junior high boys and you're still looking for your Sunday school lesson for tomorrow, uh, there's an idea for you. But um, it's as inspired as 2 Corinthians 5.21, but it's not as important as God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, right? So while all the Bible is equally inspired, it's not all equally important. So if no verse stands out, just ask yourself, what are the big ideas in this section that I read? This helps us focus on the majors of Scripture, not the minor themes. God calls your attention to them. The glory of God is in the meditate on. So the general rule every day is this. Read big, meditate small. Read big, meditate small. Read a big section, a whole chapter, three chapters, whatever it is. Read big, and then come back and meditate on a small section, one verse, one phrase, maybe a word. That's the general rule every day for the intake of the Word of God. Read big, meditate small. Reading gives you the overview, the big picture, the context. Reading the Bible is like going across a lake in a, gla- in a motorboat. You get the big picture real fast. You got rocks on this side of the lake. You got trees on this side of the lake. The lake sort of narrows up here a little bit. There's a beach at the far end of the lake. The motorboat view gives you the big, quick overview of the lake. But meditation on Scripture is like going across the same lake in a glass-bottomed boat. You see depth. You see clarity. You see detail. You don't get in the motorboat view. And we need both. If you really want to understand that lake, you need both. You get the big picture of the context of the lake, but you see deep and detail into the lake. That's the way we need with the Bible. We need the context, the big picture, the narrative of Scripture, what we call biblical theology, the, the, the overview, the big picture. But we also need the detail, the, the close-up view. We need both on a regular basis. So every day, read big, meditate small. But having selected the verse upon which you're going to meditate, how do you do this thing called meditation? Well, let's start looking at some of these methods here. Number one, just emphasize different words in the text. Squeeze it. One word at a time. So, for instance, if you're going to meditate on John eleven twenty five, 25, where Jesus said of himself, I am the resurrection and the life, it would look like this. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, Jesus alone is the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Present tense, right now, not just in Bible times, today Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, Jesus alone. Is the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the bodily resurrection. Jesus is the spiritual resurrection. I am the resurrection. And, oh, as glorious as it is that Jesus is the resurrection, he's even more than that. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. Just focus on it one inspired word at a time. This one helps me when I'm sleepy or I'm in a hurry. If I'm sleepy, my eyes are kind of wandering. It helps me focus on something. And if I'm in a hurry, it slows me down. Because if I'm in a hurry, it's like, come on, find something. Get it, get it. Where is it? Hurry up, hurry up. 
This slows me down to look at one inspired word at a time. There you go. Simple method. Anybody can do that. It's also not a bad method using in a Bible study class. Put the verse on the board. The whole class can kind of focus on it. Talk about it one verse at a time. Call attention to that. Now, there's another side of this. It's called context. And that's huge. It's important. You, you isolate one verse, one word, you can make the Bible seem to say something the opposite of what it actually does. But I'll leave that to your pastor and for another time to talk about context. Right now we're talking about devotional meditation. Second, rewrite it in your own words. Paraphrase it in other words. You, you have to understand what it does say before you can say it differently. Say it in another word, another way. And got to move on here. Formulate a principle from the text. In other words, what does it teach? This one is especially helpful with a narrative. With a long section. So you look at a whole chapter. In a sentence, what does that chapter teach? In a, it's a whole paragraph. Or one, one story. What does it teach? The most famous sermon in American history is reportedly that by Jonathan Edwards on sinners in the hands of an angry God. Many would say the second most famous sermon in American history is preached by a Southern Baptist from the mid-20th century, R.G. Lee. You might know the name of the sermon. Payday Someday. Payday Someday. You can still hear it. Go to YouTube. Uh, you can hear it. There's even one little cheesy video recorded like in the early 70s uh, where he stands in a little studio and, and preaches that. I remember growing up, we got Memphis Television, and every year they would, uh, Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, which later Adrian Rogers would pastor, and now Steve Gaines, president of the convention, is pastor. Um, they would rent the Memphis Convention Center, and Dr. Lee would preach, center, I mean, would preach payday someday. He preached it over a thousand times, understand. And um, that's a lot. And it, but every year in the spring, they would have him preach Payday Sunday. People would drive him all over. And they had to get the biggest venue in town for them to hear him preach Payday Sunday. And in Payday Sunday, he takes a narrative that's in two different books of the Bible, Kings and Chronicles, and over about three chapters and combines it into one sermon and condenses it into those four words. Payday Sunday. That this narrative teaches... One idea, one principle, and he formulated it into four words, payday, someday. Starts out, uh, I introduce you to Naboth, he says. Naboth was a godly man, but Ahab and Jezebel conspired to steal his vineyard. They put him to death in the process, and it looks like they've won. Ah, but there'll be a payday someday. And then it goes, God prophesies that they're going to have that payday someday. And then the, the decline of their lives so that they both meet a very bitter end and indeed they got their payday someday. But then he turns to the gospel and says, Now, my friend, for you, someday there will be a payday too. And then he preaches, you know, the gospel at that point. But over and over and over throughout this narrative, he punctuates it with that, that memorable phrase, payday someday. So in your meditation on scripture, you say, What is the big idea? What's the main teaching of the the uh, Good Samaritan, for example. You might put it how? Somebody said it, I think. 
Love your neighbors, you love yourself. I mean, in this case, we haven't had an actual verse of scripture that summarizes the story. But you get the idea. You take the whole story, their whole narrative, and we condensed its teaching into one principle. All right, you can do that. Uh, think of an illustration of the text. What pictures it? What explains it? Your pastor does this, you know, just about every point in his sermon. In, in, in the sermon, he kind of formulates a principle, right, from the section that he looks at, and then will illustrate it. So is there a story in the Bible, something in the Bible that illustrates what you're meditating on? Something in nature, something at God's creation, some, some story in your life, the words of some song. What pictures it? What illustrates it? Do you know whose sermons sell more today than anybody else's? Printed sermons? It is Spurgeon. He died in 1892. <clears throat> he spoke in Victorian English and he didn't tell many stories. People still buy his sermons more than anybody else's, any living preacher. You know why? He's so visual in his communication. He just seemed to think and speak in pictures. He read uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, which I require my students to read, the best-selling book in the history of the world in English other than the Bible. He, he read it a hundred times, at least once every year of his adult life. And in describing it, we might say Bunyan just filled that book with the Bible. Spurgeon said, you prick Bunyan anywhere and his blood is bibline. I mean, he made up a word, but it still works. It's just an illustration. Everything he said, he said it visually. You learn to do that, you will be an unforgettable communicator. If Martin Luther King had said, I have a dream today, racial reconciliation in America. No one would have remembered it, right? But he said, I have a dream today that one day black children and white children will play together in the playgrounds of Georgia. Now you can see it, right? And, you know, this unforgettable speech. Now you can see it. You learn to speak like that, you'll be an unforgettable communicator to your spouse, to your children, to your customers, to your employees, to your students. Where can you develop that? Because, see, we live in a culture where increasingly we passively receive pictures. We passively receive pictures through the television, through YouTube, sit in front of the screen, and we receive pictures rather than developing them. When you read, you have to create the picture. Especially when you read fiction, you create this imaginary world in your mind. And the best writers help you to see that imaginary world. The best writers help you create that world in your mind. And God has given you the ability to create a world that Steven Spielberg and $300 million of special effects can never do. And so th that's another reason why meditation is so important. But that's how we, in a visual age, can develop the ability to speak visually. You can do it while you're meditating on Scripture. What illustrates this truth? What illustrates it? What pictures it? What explains it? 
Look for applications of the text. What should you do in response to it? If you'll say to yourself, I will not close my Bible until I know at least one thing God wants me to do with this text, you'll meditate. Is there something to pray about, something to start, something to stop, something to say to someone? What does God want me to do? The Bible says to be a doer of the word, right? So how does he want me to do this word? This is John 3.16. How does God want me to do John 3.16? You... Meditate on that, you will, I mean, you you think like that, you will meditate. Um, Then, I tell you what, let's let's pause at this point. So, you have that handout, right, with those five that just up there? All right, here's what I want you to do. Pick a verse. Pick a verse, any verse, anywhere, favorite, doesn't have to be from the Psalms or Psalms of the Day, just any verse, anywhere, and I want you to spend the next few moments using one of those five methods. I want you to actually do this. So, I want you to emphasize different words in the text, squeeze it one word at a time, to rewrite it in your own words. How would you say the same thing as faithfully as possible using different words? Formulate a principle from the text. What's the big idea of this story, this narrative? What does it teach? Think of an illustration of the text. What pictures? What explains it? And look for applications. What should you do in response to this? All right? Focus on it. Take a text. Use one of these methods. Go.